0: All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucksters? What the fuckaholics? What's happening? Oh, it's me, Mark Marin. This is WTF, my podcast. Welcome. I'm uh, happy you're here, as you can probably tell, perhaps, unless uh, these mics are absolutely fucking amazing, which they might be, but you can probably sense the room is different. You can probably sense that perhaps tonally. Things are a little different. I am in probably, I'm going to go ahead and say the second greatest city in this country. I, 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 I'm I not even going to go into why one is one or what one is. That's that's what a coward I am. But I'm in Chicago for a couple of days doing a thing. I don't even know if I can talk about the thing, but God damn it. I love Chicago. I shot my special in Chicago For those of you who haven't seen that special, I know it's hard to find. I know it's hard to get, but go to epicshd.com, and there's a way you could probably watch it. You might even have Epics, and they have it on the thing there at the demand place at epicshd.com. But don't worry, in a couple of months, it will be on Hulu, and we can all watch it together on Hulu. A lot of people get the Hulu. Eventually, all will see it more later with me, Mark Marin, taped right here in Chicago. That was the last time I was here. I'm here to do a Joe Swanberg thing that I'm not really supposed to talk about. But uh, it's a pretty cool thing. I'm acting. I'm doing some, uh, you know, acting for me. I, I'm, I think I'm, uh, I'm okay at acting uh, the part of me. I can do it, uh, you know, on camera for Marin. I can also do it uh, in other places and I can do it where you can change the name. See, this is the trick of my acting technique is that my technique is act exactly like yourself, give or take a little bit, Turn this down, turn that up. If you can make those kind of adjustments and then just have a different name for the character. And then if people say like, well, he's not really acting, maybe they don't understand the character. That's how I justify and rationalize my acting technique. If you'd like to learn how to act, uh, with the mark Maron system here here it is uh just try not to be too self conscious act like yourself, react to things honestly and listen and then take some direction like you know move over there move over there uh can you do an accent probably not I probably can't but uh can you do uh can you turn can you can you speak a little uh lower yeah, but you might have to remind me because i I do a lot of mic work. Where well, you're not even supposed to speak loud, but it's an enunciation thing. But anyway, so I'm doing some acting, and I'm sitting here in my room. This is morning, before my call time. And there, there are actors I'm acting with that uh, I'm pretty excited about. There's people I haven't met, but I'm going to be acting with uh, Jane Adams, who um uh, very exciting to me because she's one of those actresses that um, I think I've met her, but I don't know. I'm just very familiar with uh, with her work. And I feel like I know her. And that happens a lot. That's one of the reasons I think that the podcast functions <laughs> the way it does is I have a peculiar familiarity with people I've seen once. But, uh, but I guess the point I was trying to make, I'm also working with some uh, young actresses. I'm working with uh, Emily Ratajkowski, and I'm working with um, Alexandra Marzella, who is a uh, performance artist. Emily is an actress. They both seem like lovely young women, uh, smart, talented people. But the thing is, like, I don't know, like, Alexandra, I don't know what, she's a performance artist. And all I know is, I'll tell you this right now, I'm in my room right now um, doing this. I'm talking on the mic. I'm being as honest as possible. I don't feel great. I feel a slight nag of a buggy kind of, but, I, you know, I'm not, that, that's between me and you. I'm just trying to, you, know, you know, kind of suck it up and do the work. And she's probably in a room uh, doing a naked um, Snapchat. I don't know what Snapchat is. I, it was just shown to me recently. And I don't know what this whole world of art is. I don't know this immediacy. I can't get involved with it. Am I just am, am I a dinosaur? am I am I almost ex- extinct uh, with my intellectual context? almost uh, diminished is it culturally completely irrelevant artistically I mean the woman I'm seeing Sarah Kane she's a a painter I understand painting I understand a beautiful abstract canvas I understand the skill set that goes involved that gets involved with that but there's a whole world of technological uh, expression art that uh, I don't know man maybe I got to get hip maybe I don't have time but uh, it's, it's interesting to see it. I'm also working with uh, David Pesquese, who's a, a Chicago guy who I've known. Uh, I have a couple of scenes with him. Why am I telling you all this? Am I just gloating? No, I, I mean, I got to tell you what's going on and what, exactly what is going on. Joe Swanberg is uh, directing, and I love that guy. Maybe you guys uh, heard me um, interview him. Uh, I think he's a great director, and he's very fun to work with. And today, you know, I have to act like uh, I'm getting boozed up. Because it's Chicago. So today's show. Speaking of art, speaking of performance art, Alexandra Marzella is the new incarnation of performance art. Uh, I was on the Lower East Side of Manhattan during the I, I would I would think is the tail end of what was the performance art scene of the '70s and '80s. I think it was sort of crashing down. My point is, Eric Bogosian is uh, on the show today eric bogosian the uh, writer actor performance artist uh playwright one man show inventor i think uh, it was bogosian you know outside of theatrical presentations of maybe how holbrook doing mark twain and some other stuff uh i think that Bagosian can be credited for um creating the modern one-man show and making us all feel that uh, we could perhaps do a one-man show. I've talked to Bagosin a couple of times, and I've seen him several times. And uh, he was one of those guys that, you know, when I was in New York, you'd see his books at St. Mark's Bookstore, and you'd be like, that guy's the guy, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, man. And uh, Drinking in America, I think, was one of the other ones. And, you know, he was just a a dude. He was a, a force down there. I think I saw Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll two or three times, twice as a works in progress and once as a finished piece. And I, I, he was one of those guys where I was always sort of like, all right, this guy's really fucking good. He's got a lot of momentum. He's got a lot of power up there. He's good at the characters. But why isn't he just doing stand-up comedy? Because he's going for the joke. A lot of these characters are going for the joke. And of course, me as a younger man, I was like, "That guy's just a comic that doesn't doesn't have the guts to go in the comedy club, where us men are doing stand up comedy." You know, that was a that was my attitude. And obviously, whatever he did for himself provided him a very wide buffet of possibilities to grow as a creative person. To the point where, you know, I it's not out of nowhere because he's been working on it a long time, but he. Uh, He's actually, um, he's written a book that, that talks about a, a, a little known story uh, in, in relation to the uh, Armenian genocide called Operation Nemesis about a, a bunch of, uh, I think I believe Armenians that lived in America who, who arranged the assassination of many of the uh, architects and executors of the Armenian genocide and, uh, and Boghossian just went down that rabbit hole and started doing that work man i'll tell you there was a time where i tried to do the one man show thing i mean some of you know that but i remember when i did jerusalem syndrome i gotta be honest with you man i was like i didn't know what the fuck to do there's been so many junctures in my career that were sort of uh fueled by by a desperation a need to do something that you know, could put me somewhere. I worked really hard on putting that one-person show together, Jerusalem Syndrome, which became a book. I used to do these fucking two-and-a-half, three-hour shows at this little place called Nada 45. Me and Kirsten Ames, who was my uh, director and dramaturge, just editing and recording and putting things together, and then we got a run at the West Beth Theater. We had a set decorator and it was like a big deal that was like you know it was a big deal for me to not improvise to stay on a script to to do actions when i was supposed to be act doing actions to 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 make movements that were planned and written it was it was ridiculously difficult a couple of months i ran at westbeth i don't know what i was thinking but uh but I I got a I got a New York Times review and the guy was like he seemed to like the show I guess but I think his his note was um, the character of Marin doesn't really transform and I'd never gotten that out of that, uh, that I never got that out of my mind that that a theatrical performance something that's called a piece of theater there should be some transformation I don't know whose fucking rule is that or if that's just a rule that that that's something that happens in act uh, at the end of act two or whatever. If it's not just about story, it's some sort of transformation. but, uh, you know, it was a fairly positive review, and at the end he said, uh, we'll see what happens with this Mark Marin character. This is where one person show ends up. This was the painful thing in in a way, where you know because it was Jerusalem syndrome is r- roughly about a trip to Israel, but more about Framing all of my weird obsessions and compulsions in some sort of spiritual context or religious context that uh, you know I, I, I couldn't get a regular agent, uh, you know, and and I got a, a personal appearance agent that that dealt with uh, random people who did one person shows. Janine Frank, God bless her, does a great job. But uh, I started uh, booking uh, Jewish community centers. Oh. <laughs> Oh man, I'm doing so much better. I don't know if you really know, you know, you really feel in your guts who you are and what you're doing and what it means and, you know, what you need to do to uh, perhaps change your life when you're you're doing your off-Broadway show at uh, a Jewish community center, you know, in, in Newton, Massachusetts or... I, uh, you know, for like a a half a house of people that were expecting something fundamentally Jewish and, uh, you know, where you're cussing and you're doing your little bits to, you know, a lot of senior citizens, a few younger people, but, uh, I needless to say, my friends, I've hit a few bottoms (laughs) in, in this life, but, uh, but now I'm in Chicago. Working with Joe uh, Swanberg and some interesting people. And I'm excited. I talked to Bogosian about I always bring it up. And we actually have a, I, I like Eric. We are, I believe we are friends. Uh, the, the times we spent together have been engaging and exciting. He's a very um, excited and manic and thoughtful and, and bright guy. And he's a creative guy and he likes to talk. So it's great for me. So enjoy this uh, conversation that i had with uh, eric bogosian uh, i'm again i'm uh, i'm not in the garage right now so there will be no guitar playing at the end i don't even know why i'm telling you that now i just i don't want you to get your expectations up eric's new book is called operation nemesis it's available wherever you get books all right so this is me and bogosian So did you rent that Mercedes?
1: Yes, of course. I have to. (laughs) I'm in Los Angeles. Is
0: that what your feeling was?
1: Yes. Do you own a car? Because in in LA, if you show up and you don't have a nice car, suddenly you're like a second class citizen. They know all about you. I was
0: driving a 2006 Camry for years and I finally had that moment where I had to go to an event and I pulled up to the valet and I was like embarrassed. I I never thought about it before. I was sort of like, cluck it. You have to clean it. I, gotta clean. I just got a new one. I can't clean it. I'm no good with it, and right. I already fucked it up. I have a car in New York. You do? But it's totally covered with dust and What kind crack. of car is
1: that? Just a Toyota Highlander. That you drive Alt in the city? With, with 150,000 miles.
0: Right. So what are you doing? Why did you, you come out here?
1: I have been coming back and forth here for about a few months because I wrote this book about an Armenian right revenge conspiracy operation
0: nemesis yeah, so which, you're out here on
1: true story true book not a fictional book a real this is real history so book.
0: at some point you you sort of locked into this this story and you're like you're going to be a scholar you're going to learn it you're going to get to the bottom yes, of it yes that's, but that's a new thing right for you that, really that, yeah and also something i didn't
1: really plan on because this was going to be a screenplay like seven years ago armenians are Why don't you write something about the Armenian Genocide? I'm like, what am I going to write? And then I heard about this young guy who had killed the leader of the Turks in Berlin in 1921 as a revenge against the The genocide. genocide. And I thought, oh, this will make a movie. It should take me a couple of months to write it. I started, um, it it all made sense that he got acquitted because they felt that since he'd seen his whole family massacred, he had a right. This is what he had said in court. An eye for 10 eyes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And once I started doing research on it, uh, you can get the court transcript on online. The man's name was Sogomon Tetlarion. Yeah. Good luck with yeah, yeah, doing yeah. that. Why don't
0: you, yeah, the first <laughs> or hour of research is spelling that. So <laughs> and have a good to,
1: morning. And learning how to say yeah. it. Yeah. And then I found out that, in fact, he was a member of a hit squad operating out of Massachusetts. There was this obscure book that came out of France that I found in translation. Yeah and that they, it wasn't just him, there were a couple of dozen guys, and that they targeted six, they targeted all these Turkish leaders, and they knocked off six of these guys. The Pretty much all the guys who committed the genocide were killed by Armenians five years after the genocide. From they,
0: Massachusetts?
1: At, well, they were people all over New England, Massachusetts, were the organizers, they were these small businessmen, and they recruited these gunmen men who were like ex militarians and other guys who were familiar with how to But handle
0: this them. was uh this was uh, solely uh this was not uh sanctioned by the government of Armenia uh, this is historically
1: a little vague, but no, they couldn't sanction it because the government army. It was a very small. But was it like
0: Munich? Was it like the Israeli revenge for Munich? Was there some sort of covert it's, operation within the government that n- said, "Like you guys, we're not saying do this, but go ahead if you have." To. It was more of something
1: that a political group oh, okay. had decided that they they there had been devastation and different people were like what should we do should we save the orphans should we raise money to get women out of muslim bondage this is we-
0: post-genocide now okay right. before we go too deep into it because i live you know right here at glendale and right. the armenians are part of my day-to-day life actually and you know i i, I hear about the armenian genocide but be, be, i'm ignorant of it so is this something you grew up knowing about oh absolutely now what wanna, so what happened when Just, i was
1: when i was a little kid my grandfather used to sit and tell me stories when i was five years old he'd say if you ever meet a turk kill him right i mean these were the kind of things but give that me I the grew numbers and
0: the events in in a short in a short way uh what happened world
1: war one under the fog of war yeah the the leaders of the what was then the ottoman empire the turkish government figured they can. Get rid of all the Armenians, and when nobody's looking, and and the, take over that that turf. They yeah, they could take their property. Right. They could take their their position, their mines, their factories, and uh, also get rid of them because right. they were Christians in a Muslim country. There's there's a it's a horrible echo of what's actually happening right now, over there. And so in be in be 1915 1916 were the big killing years. And the estimates are that over a million people uh-huh. were, and these, we're talking about civilians here. We're talking about women, children, just old, going
0: through the streets shooting them, or, or actually camps. Or well, where- they,
1: they send out uh, soldiers. If it's a small village, you mm-hmm. just bring everybody, you just kill everybody, right? Or you kill all the men, cut right. their throats or whatever, oh. and then send the women on a deportation caravan with their children, which goes into the desert, which you can't survive. Uh-huh. This is classic.
0: It's so and so if
1: they can possibly get to the place in Syria, which was where they were aiming them, which is this desert, and they might go in circles for weeks and mm-hmm. then finally you know, just wear them all out. Anybody who got there, they were concentration camps, and then they died there. As well, in Derzor, which is what which is in the news all the time.
0: Now as like as a Jewish guy, you know you grow up with these stories uh, you know that never forget the Holocaust, you know generationally, even if I didn't have family that w- that died in the Holocaust, it was something that you were brought aware of culturally as a Jew. Yeah. So now as a, an Armenian kid, you're full Armenian. So your grandfather would tell you this, these stories. He saw his family get killed, maybe. Well, he saw things that he would tell me about. Like, they would get round up everybody
1: into the church, lock the doors, and burn the church down with the people in it. And that was something that he told me about. Terrifying as a kid. I don't know what I made of it. It all seemed like it had happened very far away in a very... First of all, I had no idea. What is Armenia? Where is Armenia? Were we Middle Eastern? Did they ride camels yeah, but I still, didn't know any about that. So but you like, grew up with
0: these yeah. rituals and habits and foods, yeah. you know, and culture. Yeah. Was, and I loved
1: it. I loved being course. Armenian. In fact, you know, just trying to embrace my roots, which, to be honest, coming into this Hollywood thing in the 80s, and I have an agent saying, if you... Fix your nose and straighten your hair and change your last name. You have a future in this Did business. Did they really say that? Yes. He took me to the grill when I got signed at William Morris in 1983. He looked at he said, you. Have a lot of talent. Just do these things. <laughs> they, they, but then right after you said
0: no, did he say like, well, we'll cast you as a Jew. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's my, been my job pretty much. I am the archetypical Jewish guy yeah. on everything I do.
0: Right. You did that Woody Allen movie.
1: I've which done, had, well. Done which one the, was that? Uh, we played the
0: brother-in-law. Deconstructing
1: Harry. That was great. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. I learned a lot about acting doing that particular bit. Uh, Really?
0: From him? Because he's pretty hands-off. No, I just,
1: I was, I only had a few lines. I mean, I had a few pages with Carol and Aaron. And then I, and I was like, today, I'm not going to go to craft services and hang out all day and complain about my agent. I'm going to stay in my trailer. And I'm going to just keep doing these 12 lines over and over again. Right. And uh, and he goes fairly slowly, lighting and everything. Uh-huh. And I was in there like six hours. I already knew it when I got to set. Going deep, Jew. And then I went, yeah. yeah. But I really thought about, what What are you really saying here? What's happening? And I had never really done that deep work before. And that. And it was a choice. And now I bring, it, now I bring it to everything I do. I say, wait a minute. You think you know this. You think you know your lines. You think you know what the scene's about. But stick with it you'll there's more here you just haven't found it yet and so that's been sort of a new part of
0: my my mo right so it's my assumption like you, you know and looking over you know what i'm interested in uh, about your life that that this project this operation nemesis for whatever reason the, the you went down this rabbit hole at a time in your life where i, I think it was probably important to you to connect with your heritage and, own yeah, it.
1: and also, like, enlarge my sense of who I am, which right. includes, like, who my grandparents are, right. what it means to be Armenian and all this kind of stuff. But instead, is, of, instead of sort of keeping it at arm's length, right. like, I'm a little... Uh, or or,
0: you know, or, or literally running away from it, because I imagine yeah. not unlike me, you, you know, when you're you're young and creative and you want to make your mark, you, there's a liability to, you know, getting hung up on, on tradition or, or your past or you just want to be who you are. And do your yeah, thing. yeah, and
1: I also I was that. I mean, I was a suburb. I was one of the first mall rats in the United States. They built a mall near my home. Where'd and, you grow up? In Massachusetts, in Woburn. Where, where, so they built the Burlington Mall. And yeah, I, and I used to just me and my friend. We got busted there How smoking old you? pot in the. I'm sixty two.
0: So I'm fifty all right, so ten years before I the uh, that was the first mall. That was uh, that was when it yeah. started happening.
1: So we they didn't know when they built the malls right. that it would attract teenagers who would just go there and Spend hang the around a Yeah, and we were in the we were in the parking lot smoking weed. Yeah. We'd actually just dropped acid as well. And and the cops busted. I'm like next thing I know I'm in handcuffs tripping yeah, on acid, tripping <laughs> on acid <laughs> in a jail cell in Burlington. I'm actually trying to get my uh what's the picture they do with the little number? The mug shot. The mug shot. You we're can't still, get it, can't find I, I it. I Somebody to look it up for me. So okay.
0: what year was that? So that was like late 71, sixty nine. That's seventy
1: one. Seventy one. I just gone to college. I'd come back to hang out with my with my homies and we so didn't call you're them going that.
0: to you're going to college that first year. The the entire culture is blown open by the sixties, and it's sort of just settling into just pure drugs and rock and roll. The, yeah, uh, I was like a junior version of that because w- that was all happening when I was still in high school well the, that's what the, I mean like yeah. right so the, the the actual revolution was already subsiding and just now uh, in- infiltrating pop culture in the form of music yeah. so everybody could... but I was
1: already doing all that stuff I mean I started doing bad stuff when I was in high school oh, yeah and, what was uh, the
0: bad stuff then
1: you know? Acid, Speed, a, acid acid a, a, lot of acid Acid, and I worked in a drugstore which wasn't helpful
0: so <laughs> <laughs> but that would, was like the real acid right yeah that was the mythical kind of like that was the real shit well we had Woburn had uh, bikers Woburn
1: yeah so we would I would grab a bottle of something and I'd take it up to these guys yeah the, uh, can I say this now is it yeah. like am I gonna bust it for doing it? no I think there's and a statute like, of limitations <laughs>
0: fucking 50 years ago <laughs>
1: <laughs> white cross you know i'd find a bottle of yeah, white cross yeah. and i'd find these bikers and they'd say here here's a bag of weed for that and yeah I, that's because oh, that's all i wanted was just some. so they, those were like
0: bennies almost There was like yeah. the little white speeds
1: yeah you got to take like and five of them it. and i loved hanging around those guys because they kind of protected me i grew up in a town that i mean it wasn't there were a lot of tough guys in my town. i remember and we i wasn't burned. i wasn't tough right so right. i needed i needed the big guy and you were armenian
0: So So you're surrounded by these, like, you know, these uh, New England townies, which are some of the hardest, most interesting people. I I know guys that come from where I started doing comedy in all those towns. Oh, yeah. The the satellite towns of Boston all over New England. And it's intimidating. There's some intimidating cats out there. Well, I made sure I had one of them right now because you'd be sitting there,
1: you know, smoking weed at some party and and having a drink. And there'd be some guy just watching you glowering like. Who's this guy? Yeah, yeah. You know, who are Who the you? fuck are you? Yeah, and then Mikey would stand up and go, he's okay. He's okay. He's with me. And then I wouldn't. <laughs> now, years later, Mikey took a bite out of me when we were in the middle of a fight. Like a time. bite? Like a bite, bite? Yeah, I Yeah, I had teeth marks for about six <laughs> years after that. Where's Mikey now, Eric? He's six feet under, sadly. Yeah. Oh. Yeah,
0: he was a great guy. So- Growing up in New England, now, okay, so was there an an Armenian community? Because you talk about... Well, in
1: in Watertown, where I was a little kid, yes, and there was the St. James Church, and that's where I was an altar boy, and I did... I was an altar boy, and... Catholic? Uh, No, Armenians are Armenian. Armenians are Armenian apostolic. Uh, They have slightly different groupings, like, especially down here in Southern California, you have the... The 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 more political Armenians they're they're one group, and then there's the the guys that I came up with, which are like, but they're all Armenian. Armenian is the oldest Christian religion, pretty much in the world. In 301 A.D., the the Armenians decided to become Christian. Uh huh maybe at the time it seemed like a good idea Yes, yeah. very so few, there's still a few people that remember Jesus or had, or had yes. a grandfather oh, that my oh, grandfather yeah. used to run with Jesus oh yeah the first apostles <laughs> went to Armenia yeah yeah that's where they went Right, uh, Bartholomew guess we're out uh, of work we gotta spread <laughs> the word <laughs> unfortunately a few hundred years later you have uh, the uh, the first giant Muslim empire the arabs mm-hmm. they don't really like christians and right. then they're followed by the uh the turkish muslim empires the mongols all none of these guys are happy about and it's still christians. going on it's insane. Uh, yes sadly sadly on my way here today i was thinking we're going to talk about whatever it is we're going to talk yeah. about and so, such bad shit is happening over there right now i wish we you know i wonder to what degree just if we can take one second to be a little political here, Um, to what degree there's a kind of a racism against Middle Eastern people that people don't care about what's happening to all these Syrian refugees. It's just some statistic, and especially for us as Americans who started all this crap in the first place and why everybody's running all over the place over there. What are we doing to help them... You know, these, I mean, it's going to start getting cold out there in, yeah. a, in a month or so. And these are just families just stuck people. all over the place. In fact, it was this kind of thing that, that kicked in my feelings about what were my roots back when Serbia and Bosnia was happening in the 90s. I would watch these refugees coming out of these towns and I'd say, that must have been what it was like for my family and my people because. This is what happens. They come in. These people are just yeah. living their life, yeah. not bothering anybody. They're not even political or they're not thinking about it. No, they're just. And the next man. thing you know, they're in the street. An no. army shows up. They take all the men off mm. and they put a bullet in their head, and then they take all the women and they do stuff with the women. And then who knows? I mean, in the hundred years ago, they were, the children were valuable too. You could a child, you could keep that child to be like uh, a little yeah, slave to right, you, sure. or yeah. your, or it could be your child. You mm-hmm. could adopt the child, right? So at any rate. I just think that we got to think about this is a major humanitarian yeah. screw up, and I wonder to what degree because these people are Middle Eastern, yeah. nobody seems to care that much. I mean, people care. But- I,
0: I don't know. Like it might be that, but it's also just a, about American culture in general that the you know the level of distraction and immediacy to people's lives, it, you know, and their concerns are, are selfish but also complicated. I don't know that necessarily you know Americans are bad people or judging in as Middle Eastern. It's just not here. I, yeah, I think, but we
1: started it. That's the. Thing. I know, but you I mean, know, they they get, get people to take
0: Well, no, I'm not arguing with you, but I don't. <laughs> yeah. I don't know <laughs> no, if, that, what you're if that if that if that occurs on a personal level. I don't know that if the average American, if they really knew what was going on, I think they'd be like, "Well, I'd like to help," but I, I think the leap for an average personal, you know, one-on-one American to go like, "This is my fault," that that's a different political issue. But a humanitarian movement, you know, certainly should should. People should be aware. But what I think is interesting about you is that you, early on in your career, have always been you know, a voice of, of brutal satire of this country. So your, your awareness... Of of what America is on on not necessarily a political level on a cultural level was intact you know from the beginning and as you get older and now you get wiser and you get more empathetic and your heart gets bigger <laughs> you're able to sort of broaden that the the understanding of what America is responsible for on a global level you know into this awareness now and this work with Armenia but but like when I look at think about you you know or whatever I. I uh, Project as who you were on the Lower East Side in 1980 or whenever the fuck that started. Yeah, that you know you you were uh, an an angry, sweaty, you know, uh, manic voice. You know, attacking America from the inside. Classic,
1: classic angry young man who knows everything, knows better, and with great indignation, I'm telling everybody off, and I know what's right, and you don't know, and I'm going to tell you. Although I did it all, as you say, in uh, satire, and in sarcastic, and in ass character. backwards. You know, the whole you, idea was to create a, do, you know, street people. By the way, I just want to tell you yeah. that those old monologues that I used to do, yeah. I have all my friends doing them, now and we have them online 100monologues.com I just want to tell you that we've been spending a couple of years we've now got 50 of them because it turned out over those 20 years I had done a 100 different bits yeah and characters a lot yeah and somebody was saying one day I don't know who it was one of my friends said you know I could do one of those and then we started shooting them and collecting how do they hold up they're good, yeah. They're funny,
0: is they're really more a, funny. Uh, some
1: are some are better than others. I mean, there's people on there like I mean, Jen Tilly does one of the one of the bits. Uh, Michael Shannon does one. Uh, Stuhlbarg does one. I
0: like that. And him. They're funny. That guy. So uh, give me a sense of this because this is like a piece of uh, the New York puzzle that I have not talked to anybody that you know that that era. Of performance when I think performance art really started to have don't say performance art to me but okay no just define itself that that's yeah, okay. what it's called yeah. so you know it's not called stand-up comedy you know you can call it theater Perfor- we call it performance let's call performance. that's fine okay but I'm just trying to you know the same people you want to take responsibility for Syria as Americans we need to, <laughs> we need to sort of broaden out you know <laughs> performance art is what it is to them but now okay. they know it's performance All right. but uh, but what was it? What was the scene? Because you come out, would you go to theater school and then go to New York? I mean, yeah. you're in Woburn. How the fuck did you decide?
1: I was, I was a theater guy. I I had never been to theater when I was a kid. When I was yeah. a teenager, we did theater one day in English class. Right, and I was like a fish to water. I was like, this is this is great. What is this we're doing? What was it? It was Shakespeare. We were doing Romeo and Juliet. I played Capulet. I yell at Juliet for getting home late all the time, or whatever. And, and you're I like, just, I can yell. I can yell. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was that was Wolverine acting, right? And um, they turned it. There was like a little drama club, and I started doing that. And it was just, you know, I, I really liken it to sports. Like, uh-huh. like everybody can play sports. Everybody can do theater. But right. there's always some, one guy who, for whatever reason, he can stand up there and he can hit six right. home runs and. In six games, and, yeah. the, and the, I just had an ability to do this. I think it was probably because I spent so much time when I was a kid locked in my bedroom talking to myself in the mirror, but at any rate, I lived in this fantasy world, and when I was given the opportunity, so there I am, an actor. Somebody says, you're an actor. You should be an actor. You yeah. should follow this, but I come from a very working-class background yeah. where like you don't go in the arts. what you did your dad do? do? He was a bookkeeper, right? and my mom was a hairdresser, is a, you
0: got a, brothers and sisters?
1: I got a younger sister. Yeah, she's great. She's a school teacher. Uh-huh. And um, so I didn't think it was a practical idea. Right. And I went off to college and I didn't do it. And I ended up doing theater again in college. And then eventually. You're not I studying
0: just, it, just a theater group. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. And right. then
1: I finally said, okay, look, uh, I dropped out. I was doing too much acid and stuff, and then I went I back. I like that to it was both. acid, yeah. that, that was
0: your drug of choice <laughs> yeah. acid. That's Perfect, a, that's a lot
1: of work. <laughs> <It is. laughs> Don't worry, I, I worked my way into the okay. other, the more relaxing drugs <laughs> after that. Yeah, and and note, and I have to say this because I know that the youngins are out there listening, <laughs> yeah. stopped everything 31 years ago. So, wow, and, and I totally that's a tribute, big chunk half my life yeah. but I for me for this guy for this junkie yeah. I have to be I have to be clean and sober or I can't do anything I'm it's a I am its a. am disabled Yeah it's a disability I you know give, but, but you give but, me but, a beer and I'm not going to be I'm not going to show up for work I, I get that but like a lot of like what year did you get sober uh, eighty four. All right. So this is like you know. Oh, I, I've done. T- my kids say to me, "How come you do so much stuff about being high and on drugs and everything when you don't do any of that stuff?"
0: Yeah, but life? you did some fairly, you know, uh, some of the very powerful work, the you know, life defining work, you know, career changing work when you were fucked up. But and, I yeah,
1: subverted no,
0: everything. No, no, I was, I'm not saying I it's a good dressing thing. rooms. Yeah, I did no, all I, those. I get it. You know, you know, I'm sober too, and, and you know, was... we talk about that here. But it's it's sort of interesting that a lot of times people. And I'm not romanticizing it, but uh, but you had to hit the wall pretty hard and pretty publicly. And and you certainly explored um, the, uh, you know, the negative sides and positive sides of drug use and drinking in your work before you cleaned up. And and, uh, I mean, I don't regret it. I mean, I think, you know, that's everybody
1: says that who's been down that route sure. the only problem you want to you want to survive it you don't want to sure. come out the other sure. end be like being a box then no that's, no yes yeah, no yeah. good
0: on the right side of the grass i think or is it right is, is that what it's <laughs> no, that's called
1: a, the wrong side of the grass <laughs> <You don't, laughs> under the roots yeah well but, all right I, so yeah you, so i i came so i gave up i gave up the whole I, I, when i came to new york i was yeah. so intimidated as yeah. an actor i graduated college and i and just, gave, just moved to new york uh, I had come as a student, and mm. then I decided I wanted to live here because it was just amazing. You're talking 1975; mm-hmm, the mm. city was insane.
0: It was like a, it was like broken, wasn't
1: it? Yeah, I was living in Times Square, and I just thought this was the craziest, best thing I'd ever. I wanted to be here. It was here. just chaos, pirates,
0: criminals All, everywhere.
1: Ab- Absolutely, the cops would just leave at night, like 11 o'clock <laughs> at night. They were gone, and everything just went into total chaos. <laughs> and the and the trains and
0: everything. And I was young, so I didn't care. Yeah, I,
1: I thought this was really. And you a
0: romanticized blast. it, I imagine. Yeah, and
1: I also was getting deeper into the adventure of so, drugs and everything.
0: So you go as a student and you check it out and you're like, holy shit, this is where it's happening. Do, but I can't
1: I can't compete as an actor, I feel. I right. really, I give up. Yeah. And I end up in Soho around all these visual artists. So I come when up, you moved there. Yeah, in 76, 77, I worked at a place called The Kitchen. Right. And all my friends were either composers, choreographers- or visual artists. There weren't I didn't have any theater guys. But, but
0: but this was sort of the beginning of that 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 artistic renaissance of of sort of a whole new type of expression. There was an art scene in New York that you know wasn't like the painters of the you know, 50s and 60s that sort of evolved out of the the you know whatever the New York art scene was and now was going into all these different areas and taking real chances, though, right? Well it was it had gotten very minimal and it had gotten very esoteric. Like who and, were the people when you well, got there? Well just
1: prior to that, you you basically filled glass is the king of music or he's becoming just starting king. right and there's everything yeah donald judd and, and you
0: know really clean high-minded shit yeah, yeah
1: yeah my crowd is you know robert longo and cindy sherman and um keith Haring was over in another neighborhood but that's all everybody's making pictures of things stuff that anybody can look at and go oh i get what this is and um, and we were having fun. We were also in the clubs like all the time, and this was just it was what had happened. Was, what were the clubs like? CB's or, or the other ones? They're like yeah, Mud Club, Mud, mud, mud Club, and um, Tier so, Tier Three. So at that places. time, you know, you're so seeing there's just a zillion young people showing up in New York, just thinking, "What crazy shit
0: can I make?" But all the music that's going on—that's that's the height of CBGB's, right? And that's like the whole New York punk thing. You know, music just is being after redefined. The, I
1: showed a, my thing. I was not hip to the punk thing until somebody said, "We're gonna go," and I'm like, "I don't want." want to do that punk thing. Uh after Hendrix died I didn't want to go hear any more rock and roll. And they said, "No, no, come with it come here this thing." yeah And yeah. I don't know, I think it was like um oh, who was it? The Heartbreakers or something. Not uh, Tom yeah. Petty Heartbreakers. No, no, Johnny Thunder. Johnny yeah, Thunder. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, this yeah. stuff was like real down and Great. dirty rock and roll. Like yeah. Kansas City uh yeah. Maxis, Maxis Kansas, Kansas City. City. And uh that was what I, I was like, I love this. So and how, then I was just clubbing for the next three, right, but years. Wh- how?
0: What was the creative process? When did it be, become apparent that you, you could, that there was a new theater happening, that performance was viable?
1: Well, it was, it was all about a community. So there's all these lofts and people are just doing the craziest stuff. Some of it's like real theater. Some of it's like not real theater. Mm-hmm. Like Willem Dafoe's down the street doing Worcester Group. stuff with Worcester Group yeah. and they're, and they're doing, and Spalding was around in those days. Was he? Of course, that yeah. was the Spalding's beginning. Of of the fir- oh, I saw Spalding when I first got to New York. He was already doing "Tooth of Crime" by Sam Shepard. He That's was a great. hell of a play. He was a great guy. What a big too. play!
0: What did he play? He, what did he play in that? He was uh, Hoss. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: And he. Um, And I went backstage. I was like, this kid. uh, Hi, I just want to tell you. I thought that was great. He goes, uh, I said, can I, uh, you know, will you have a cup of coffee with me? Which people ask me all the time. And he goes, uh, no, but you can buy me a drink. Right. And we went to Magoo's and he was incredibly, I never forgot the fact that this man was kind to me. And we were friends, uh, uh, sadly. What did he tell you? Tell me anything. I mean, <laughs> what can you tell anybody? That's pretty much the smartest thing anybody could tell you is like, just, hey kid, yeah. just go yeah, for yeah, it. Yeah. You know, what can do you we only you do, know? Just do it, right? That's what everybody has always said to me. That's what uh, Oliver that's, Stone said to me when we, I was writing talk radio. The the movie of it, it was like. I don't know what to tell you. Just keep writing. All right, so you it's, see the it's Worcester no good Group. good now,
0: but keep writing. You're running around. There's all this vitality yeah, and weird so, shit going on. I'm sure you saw some, some stuff where you're like, oh, what is that shit?
1: Yeah, oh, all the time. But the, the main thing was we were entertaining each other. Right. We were like, who can make up some crazy shit that's going to make the other guys laugh as right. opposed to I'm going to make something that's going to go to Broadway or right. I'm going to make something that's going to be like – Commercially, and there's no commercially anything. You've got some nights eight people in the audience. 20 oh, I know, people. yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I had one place when I was like six people and none of them spoke English. And I'm like <laughs> yeah. playing to the guy who's taking yeah. the money yeah. the, the buy at the coin buyer. Tough crowd. Um, and so I would be, when I was writing, I started creating these characters, these monologue things. And of course, it was like when I first started it. This was very intimidating. I mean, now people are so used to seeing this stuff, but to do an old bum or something, a really crazy yelling at you kind of bum, who had done that? You know, the only person who had... You know, they always forget that Robert Klein was the guy who first started doing street people. When he did that bit, Please, do you remember Please? Please! Yeah. uh, This guy in the street, uh, he did Junkies. Comedian. So, So... and then yeah. Pryor did it, too. Well, well in Pryor, these guys are a big influence on me. The energy, mm-hmm. the, like, come out and... Uh, yeah, the pri- the first Pryor live yeah. movie... right. ...knocked me out. And I said, I want to do that kind of energy in a theater because I am so bored with what's happening in the theater... So I started doing this stuff in these little bit, and, and it was very aggressive. Never was, thought
0: comedy though. I think we've talked about this before, like because there wasn't really a comedy club scene there. So I, no. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll I'll give you a, a pass on that. But was there ever a thought to that? Oh, well,
1: there was sure, because at a certain point they started lumping me together with the new comic mm-hmm. scene, which it was breaking. Catch Rising
0: later. Star, yeah. Well, that.
1: you know, Gilbert was doing his stuff Richard, and, and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and so they would say you're a part of this. Like right. Esquire wrote a piece about it or something. So I go, okay, I'm going to go do that. So I went. Mm-hmm. To catch i stand up there and you know they have a green light and a red light yep. as soon as i started talking they start blinking the red light and i'm feeling like i'm being run over and mugged at the same i could not do it there's two things i will always have tremendous respect for one stand up comics yeah. which i can't do it yeah and two radio talking you know i did the guy in the movie right but to do it for real, yeah. it's fucking hard. <laughs> it's hard. They've, they've. I've been guessed. I've guessed sure. it for people. They say, hey, why don't you take the show for a night? Vince Kelso would have me do right, it. Right, right. And I'm trying to think of what to say. and I can't think of anything. Because yeah. if I have a month to write a line sure, for right. a character, yeah, yeah, yeah. then I'll play the guy. Yeah, just uh, to fill that dead air. Yeah, yeah Keep going. Yeah. Oh, but it's... And, and also... I don't think people realize that everything you say, you've got to be ready to stand behind. Yeah. And if I have time to think about it, I can do that. But to be a guy who says, this is my view of life. Yeah. And, and I'm going to, it's going to be consistent and all. And it, yeah, but a lot of times it, be, it, it becomes
0: it. a character. You, you know what I it mean? It's means, all a right? character. Right. Everything
1: you do is a character. You're a character right now. I'm a character right now. I'm right. nothing like this in real life.
0: Yeah, complete, I, 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 I know. I know I'm you're just... quiet. <laughs> you, you rarely
1: talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking about you with your cats and I was thinking if people could only see what I, how I actually spend my day. I have plants. Yeah. I water my plants and yeah. my big moment of the day is checking the mail to yeah. see if I got a residual
0: check. <laughs> <Yeah>. $4 <laughs> from talk radio. it's <laughs> (laughs) running on some cable channel yeah yeah i'm gonna get a coffee yeah all right so okay so you you're you're doing this and you're like i'm gonna bring this intensity this energy these characters to theater And and I imagine I was in
1: like a loft scene. I was in like all kinds of clubs. What was that other one
0: that was? uh, Yeah, the other loft where that lasted a long time. Not it wasn't the kitchen. It was somebody's. It seemed like someone lived there. It wasn't quite in Soho. It Was upstairs, and they had a lot of performances. Arlene
1: had her place. What was it called? I don't know Arlene's or something. Well, yeah, right, right. places, right.
0: But that's where it took place. So when you're saying performing side, right? When you're performing for your friends, that was also a community of people that were interested in seeing this stuff. So it wasn't just you and Spalding or you and. Cindy or whoever. Yeah, yeah. People around.
1: would know that was something was happening and you'd all go see that thing. Eventually the neighborhood got so big that, you know, you could have a hundred people or whatever. And eventually right. built and built and built. I think laurie Anderson was the first one to start doing set shows repeatedly. Uh-huh. Which in a lot of situations. Like usually you did one night right. and that was it. And then you never did that bit again. But she would make a a particular show, and then I did the same. I started thinking yeah, this is like a do a set show. With several and, characters. Yeah, I would do a dozen characters. I did Franklin Furnace, all these places, The Kitchen. And, was the uh, first
0: show Drinking in America?
1: No, 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 This is the first show was called Men Inside, then Fun House, and then Drinking America was the first one I did Sober, which was like a hit show. And by then I was in real, th- by then Joe Papp had scouted me, brought me to the public theater. I'd done a couple of shows there. Then I did that at American Place because Joe said I couldn't come back and do any more solos at the public because we don't do solos anymore. Then I do Drinking in America. It's a huge hit. And Joe comes to, Joe Papp comes to the show and goes, why did you leave us? I said, well, you kicked me out. That's why. And yeah. He said, well, you come back <laughs> and you can do whatever you want to do. You are in the slot now. January, sh- whatever it is you want to do will open in January 1986. And I said, well, I have an idea for a thing about a talk radio guy. He goes, great. You got anything written? I had twenty pages. Yeah, I was already in their calendar for the next year. And that was based
0: I, on the the Berg thing.
1: No, no, that came in later. Oh, uh, really? Well, the guy that I created what was, his name, was Daniel Berg. Daniel Allen Berg. Allen Berg. Very yeah. similar to the character I had created for the play. Right. And when we were going to make the movie, I said to Ed Pressman, "This is very complicated, but anyway, I said to Ed Pressman." There's a book about this guy who got gunned down in Colorado. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Not he wasn't in was in, Col- yeah, in Colorado yeah, well, it was in Denver. Colorado. Yeah. Um and we better buy this book because my play sounds so much like an I uh, believe me, I did not base the play on this guy. Right. But when we did the movie, I seg. I, I merged the two and stories. And you had you had
0: optioned the book. So you were yeah, able we had, to do Yeah, we had the book as was part of our uh-huh. package. Um, and he had creepy rockets, red glare come in at the oh, end. Rockets,
1: poor old rockets. He yeah. was so great. Yeah, Did I, you know
0: rockets? I, I I I saw him towards the end. Yeah. You, you know, like he would uh, around because I was living on a uh, second between A and B and eighty nine. 90, 89 to 91, 92. And I don't remember um, where I saw him, but I was excited. And I didn't even know what his place in the whole scheme of things was, but I knew he was in that your movie, and I knew he was sort of a guy. Uh, well, Rockets, guy. Was a,
1: Rockets was a famous character of the scene, famous right. junkie, big junkie. Right. And kind of a doorman at, at, at various places. Uh-huh. The secret to Rockets, which I only knew from working with him, was that his brother had been one of the people who like, established Microsoft or something and had cut off a chunk of stock for him that cost two cents, yeah. had given it to him, had become worth all this money. Right. And then he was able to keep up his <laughs> junkie life based on... Yeah. Microsoft stock, or so you sort of this myth, like, like that.
0: every. That's a great thing about New York that you don't see a lot in the same way is that there are actual characters within the scene that don't necessarily do anything, but they're an organic part of the scene that add to the to the whole sort of oh, energy yeah. of the environment, yeah. and that happens a lot in New York. It's like that's that guy, you know. Yeah. Like,
1: uh, well, we had such a huge community of amazing people, and when AIDS came, it just level oh my god it was horrible the people we lost so many beautiful people yeah ethel eichelberger and and, herring uh, klaus nomi herring Mm -hmm. uh, so many and and then dope did its job too on Mm -hmm. a few people and so yeah it was but i i don't know if that always happens or doesn't happen
0: to community in that in the case it was truly i think it's a singular event the lower east side I I think that, you know, what happened there and because it's it's never recovered from it and it sent generations searching for it, you know, for decades after what you guys started, You, you know, like long after when I was there. In the 90s, there was still this sort of like the residual idea of living a a performance life on the Lower East Side, but it didn't have the vitality or the originality necessarily that you guys had because you were at the epicenter of it.
1: And it was cheap. We had cheap housing. I mean, it comes down to like, if you don't have to pay that much in rent.
0: If you can live there, right. you're
1: 23 years old, of course you're going to live a rock and roll existence but between you
0: and Spaulding, and I guess I, I I think in some weird way you know Karen Finley brought a lot of attention to you know what was going Lots on down people. there yeah. but it also but in a way that people were you know were able to mock it because I don't I don't you, you know the performance art became this like what are you going to put yams in your pussy you know so so it sort of got uh, minimized by uh, mainstream culture because of uh, characterization well, Saturday Night
1: live did that amazing bit that time where uh, uh, they were like making fun of it, world, world federated performance art or something. And Adam <laughs> Sandler's pretending to be me, and he has like a curly wig on, and he's doing something like my bits. And, uh, well, and I think it,
0: that anytime something happens, you know, culturally that that can be seen as show business, whether you want it to or not, and and it isn't show business, then show business is eventually going to gut it. Yeah, yeah. they're either going to steal it or they're going to gut it. Well. What was
1: weird is it became very successful. I yeah. mean, by the time I did Sex, Drugs, Rock and Roll in 90, 90 or 91 or something, I mean, we rolled up the biggest advance on an off-Broadway show ever. I we... saw that
0: show four times. Oh, my God. It was weird because, like, I always had a little bit of a problem with you. I was like, you know, is he a comedian? What we the fuck does that guy? No, I don't. <laughs> what does that guy do? You know, because I was like, you know, diehard comic. And I'm like, he just wants to be a comic, you know. And then I went to see... Uh, Because I'd I'd read about you and I'd I'd seen, probably seen talk radio by that point and I'd never seen you live before. But then for some reason, I went to see it and you were still workshopping it. It was at the place where Stomp was, right? That- yes,
1: that became where st- the Orpheum.
0: Right. Yeah. So I saw it in some version, and then I, you know, in a smaller place. I don't know where. 122. I used to do all my stuff. Right. With them. Right. We're going to
1: do a benefit over there in a couple.
0: So weeks. like, and, <laughs> and then I saw all these different characters, and I'm like, holy shit, this guy's great. And then like, you know, I watched some of the characters. Then I went to see it again, and some of the characters were gone. And I was thinking, there, like, why did he take that guy out? You know, what, where, what happened to that guy? And then, uh, and then there, and, and then when I saw it finally at the Orpheum, I'm like, so this is the final show. But I still was sort of like, what? Well, I miss that one guy where's that guy the one guy I still remember which guy I, I miss was the doctor with the no it was the guy with the bong like I'm a rebel you remember <laughs> you know, like, the, the the guy who was like the the outlaw but he was just sitting on his couch smoking oh a bong oh my god I don't even remember you don't know? and then there was the guy with the coke can like I have a huge cock well, oh yeah that yeah. guy stayed in though that guy oh, right he was great yeah coming <laughs> yeah, yeah. down I've got a long
1: thick well shaped prick the kind girls die for <laughs> yeah you're laughing so what yeah. fuck you yeah yeah and he's yeah. just sort of like well because this... isn't that everybody's fear is right. that like there's some guy you know who's a it, moron kind of <laughs> yeah yeah I mean, he's still good at work he has no money <laughs> yeah, but... but he can get any woman yeah yeah oh has, yeah those guys. Sh- massive schlong
0: but after that I was sort of like wow this guy's you know really something and, and you know I'm not you don't need this validation, but but that was my... (laughs) (laughs) All right, so so it all builds up to Sex, Drugs, and Rock and Roll. That was, but was that... Was that before Talk Radio? Was after, right? Right after, yeah. That was
1: sort of like the pith of everything get going really right for me. Right then, I did that, and then a couple of years later, I did Pounding Nails on the Floor of my forehead, which I even like better. I saw show. that show too. And Suburbia at Lincoln Center, right? And and then I did the Seagal movie around the same. That 90, 1994 I was it was hitting all the cylinders full. And blast. when did you
0: meet your wife? Your wife's a theater director, 80. right?
1: We've been married thirty five years. So she met you drunk, Joe Bonney. Yeah yeah i have drunk more than drunk and I said to her this is my lifestyle this is who I am take it or leave it and she would like cry and stuff. I was sad and then four years later I mean she's getting up every morning at eight o'clock to go to work I'm still like out of it and I'm hey some people need 10 hours of sleep a night you know it's, <laughs> it's medically yeah, necessary horrible, horrible terrible. man and um and then it just I don't even know what happened I mean somebody just said you know how are you doing and I said Everything's great. You yeah, know, right. Had, like no income. With your sniffling, seven I, I'm waking up with in it uh, sweats every morning. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said, "Well, come with me to the, you know, to the thing, to the thing." Yeah, the secret, so, society. secret society. Secret I, no, I talk about it, but it's um, and that was the, the what a mitzvah, right? So yeah. um, and then said the Armenian uh, guy. Yeah. And if, <laughs> Honorary. I'm gonna my. You can come to my bar mitzvah. Okay, It'll good. Be, like, Let
0: this. me know when it is. Yeah. I'll write you. A check. I'll give you a Jewish, an Israeli uh, bond. I'll give you twenty five dollars Israeli savings bond. <laughs> a a tree. you Give me a tree yeah, yeah, in Israel. A, yeah, yeah. I'll yeah. give you a tree. So, do you, but you collaborate with her too, right? A lot. Well, she directed all those early shows,
1: and then she sort of peeled off and was direct. Not and sort of, she peeled off, did her own shows, and now she's one of the premier directors in New York. She does stuff with, you know, Neil Labute and Susan Laurie Parks and Lynn Nottage, all the big, very very smart. Pulitzer Prize winning. Uh, now, from writers. that from that
0: era, do you, you know how many friendships do you maintain? Are you friends with Cindy Sherman? Do you are you still like close to the, the yeah. to the core group? I mean, yeah, I
1: mean, we don't see each other all the time. I mean, you get older and you have slightly, sure. but yeah, we do see each other. We um, we all love each other very much. Um, so there's still I that mean, sense my, of my, community. My circle of friends is sort of enlarged into another world of all right the theater and yeah, and even movie and TV people who are just kind of my pals. I basically play poker now, so that's what I. Do. That's who my circle of friends are. Do you
0: play cards once a week?
1: Almost once a week. But like actor guy, Liev got me started in this thing when we were doing talk radio on Broadway. And he said... I'm having a poker game, and it's like I don't gamble, I don't play, po- I don't do anything. I <laughs> yeah, don't yeah. like the numbers, nothing. And that was seven so years he, ago. So and I'm I, like sick into it. Now. Right. Well, I'm he like must have been like,
0: well, yeah, we really want you to come, and he, <laughs> yes. and then you, you lost hundreds of dollars. <laughs> yeah. Until you no, figured. The problem it out. was I won that night, and yeah. that was the, oh, that. Since got Since then, in? I've lost <laughs> nonstop. They, they always love the guy, especially in an established game. If you go like, I don't really know how to play. Oh, you really got to come. Yeah. And then yes, they all yeah. know each other's tells, but you don't even know what a tell is, and you're fucking you leave broke because you lucked out the first night. Yeah, and I've played everybody, and every, it's 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 a lot of fun. But uh, so, how do you get from like you know we do you do sex, drugs, and rock and roll? You're starting to do movies. You're writing books. I mean, you write novels too. Yeah,
1: that was after the play thing kind of stopped in the late '90s. I had kept writing plays. I still write plays, but they just weren't getting produced. And so, I was fascinated by. I, I, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of things that the internet have changed things and, yeah and the fact that you could buy a book anywhere yeah it changed the or way. watch people
0: fucking on your phone but and you it's could a big, <laughs> <laughs> it's an amazing world we live that, in
1: well it, yeah
0: well uh, yeah so
1: uh-huh. you can get a book to somebody in nebraska that they couldn't get at their local bookstore mm-hmm. and that changed everything i mean david foster wallace and all the kind of great stuff that was coming in that period dave eggers yeah I, i'm like I don't know. I like books, so I'm yeah. gonna write. So I started writing books, and I and I wrote three novels, and um, I don't think I ever found that audience. But the thing about a book is it's still there. Yeah. And I had been doing so much ephemeral well, if you stuff. Look around us. There's a... so
0: many of these books here, and you know what? I haven't read most of them. Of th- don't tell any anybody. of them. But a few of them. I've Read, read, read. the
1: book that I gave you. I will. Because, uh, that perforated heart is a is so like navel gazing existential. What are you I'm, saying, like...
0: Eric? <laughs> Look, so. I got through it. Maybe it'll help you. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't so. kill my voice, man. Also, I think you can do things when you're
1: young mm-hmm. that you can't do when you're old. And there's things when you can do when you're older. So I can do long form now and have the the presence of mind to stick with it mm-hmm. until I have 300 pages done. Whereas when I was writing those short things, I had a million ideas, but I couldn't. I right. could never complete, so that's about all I could do was about a three-minute monologue, and I could write that and work on that. And now I'm in this other zone where maybe my ideas aren't so great, but I can write something very. You
0: have long. discipline. You have a, a, a different type of patience. You have creative confidence in a and way. I, and I
1: had been writing all through this period. Once I did talk radio, I was working for the man here in Hollywood. Right. Like I did, you know, N.S.I. Right or oh, one of them I, no I was I was an actor and CI for C- yeah. Law and Order uh, that was more recent but just I worked as a screenwriter for you know oh yeah like uh, a doctor well, that's, like,
0: like you yeah, give it to Yeah, you know,
1: or you get, get a book or something and you adapt it I mean none of them got made into movies but I you made got a, I got paid I got paid WGA yeah. so like you got health benefits yeah. and stuff yeah. so that was like my invisible job Right, nobody knew I was doing Right, and I did that for about 15-20 years and was good Yeah? You You have kids, right? I have two boys, yeah. How old are they? 28 and 24. Holy shit. Yeah, holy shit is right. So they're like- How uh, are they doing? Great. Good. Yeah, they're not in college anymore. So now I can start to do my own life again, run around. (laughs) Do
0: you hang out with them?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's- I'm not going to say- I mean, my relationship with my parents was fine, but it was typical of that time, which is they're the parents and I'm the- but I had that completely... I uttered. love you, but
0: fuck you. I got to yeah. go. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm angry at them, and I'm yeah. not around, and I go yeah. away for a long period
1: yeah. of time. But my, my guys, I mean, I spent a lot... First of all, I'm the generation of dads who spent a lot of time changing diapers and doing all that stuff, with, and mm-hmm. always around them. My wife was working a lot, so I'm... With, and so now, there are these men that I have... I have a relationship with I don't have with anybody else. And you know what? They make me laugh. And that's oh, that's all great. I, that's all I care about in relationships. And they don't know drunk air. make me laugh. Right? No, yeah. never. That's great. Yeah, they didn't never see me drunk. They just heard the story. They saw me rageaholic, though. I was early on when I was first getting sober and they were a little. Yeah. daddy could get a little they call me crazy daddy and everybody would like leave the room because <laughs> I'm going nuts
0: how do you deal with fun. that because I you know like I'm just reckoning with that now in the last few years you know at 16 years sober the the rage problem finally exhausted itself it literally yeah, that's exhausted about when it. it
1: that's about when it burns out
0: well more and more
1: there's less and less to like what am I what am I being so freak what am I so crazy about what am, Why I, am I so afraid of? yeah what am I afraid of yeah uh for me it came to a sudden end because Because a friend of mine's son died from a drug overdose when Mm. he was, like, 18 years old. One of my best friends. It was mind-blowing. Heartbreaking. Just, and it changed my whole notion of what's important, what isn't important in my life, and what am I losing my shit over this? Because he didn't do the Spanish homework. Who cares? Right. And so I just stopped. I just said, this. Right. I don't care, because it was all about fear, like they're not going to get into college or something, and R- it's like, oh, right. really? Right. You never cared about this shit in the first place. Why is this something that you're losing, you're going nuts? And so I just stopped. I said, if this kid ends up on the couch for the rest of his life smoking weed, which they never did any of that stuff. But, but it's interesting it's okay. what
0: kicks in, you know, despite whatever you grew up with, there is that idea that you want your kids to have a opportunity to, you know, to to find their way in the world, to do the, the responsible thing, even if they're, you know, they think that they don't want it now. There is that, I imagine, with a kid where it's sort of like, you may think that you want to be this way now, but you're going to regret it. Yeah, and and you there well, must we, have been some shame we you were more, carrying.
1: Well, we had more frank conversations than I ever had with my parents. I mean, I, I would say to like Harry when he was twelve or something, I said, look, look, I just want to tell you this. This is my first time being a dad. Okay, right. so you got to cut me some slack here. Just <laughs> go with it a little bit, all right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And I would say stuff like, you know, um, you know how you kind of feel weird around girls and you're shy smoke weed it'll be like multiplied by 10 so if you want it to be a lot worse start smoking a lot of grass and then you'll never talk to a girl again and it's great because he was um well he had a girlfriend and he got laid a lot more than i did when i was (laughs) and that's
0: a whole other problem
1: yeah Yeah. Yeah. that's called
0: statutory
1: rape harry you can't do that
0: so so you've had all these different sort of lives creatively you know as a you know performer and actor screenwriter novelist and and collaborator with with other people and stuff and and so i i imagine like I, this brings us to this point where you know you want to own your heritage and then this book like I just have to assume that and and I'm projecting, and you can tell me if I'm wrong that you know when this thing started to blossom and and sort of you know reveal all these things to you not only about the Armenian genocide or about the history that your your sense of family and everything else must have just kind of converged as well on this, yeah you know, in, in the oh, sense sure
1: right, I mean, you respect what it look when you're a kid old guys are just old guys you love they're, them they're not but, that interesting. Right. but they don't seem to have and then you go oh oh i get it he went through all this stuff this is what being this guy is i mean for me it was it was a reversal of i had rejected myself as a sort of ethnic i was not going to be this sure
0: ethnic yeah guy. yeah exactly and, I then as I,
1: and more recently i'm like no you are you know <laughs> own it yeah love it the music, the food. You know, when I was little, when I was in the 60s, if I ate yogurt or something, yeah. which is an Armenian yeah. food, Muzun, we call yeah. it, the little kids in the neighborhood, they, they watch me eating it. Like, how do you eat? How can you eat that
0: stuff? Right, that's right.
1: So, ugh. Disgusting. And now everybody eats yogurt, shish kebab, all the things that were things I grew up with that were so weird and foreign. But that's me, yeah. you know? Now, we are a pretty anti i mean I said this earlier, but I mean Middle Eastern people are yeah. kind of like endlessly put down in our society, and that's what I look like. I look like a guy who's an Arab or a mm-hmm. jew or whatever yeah and and um i have to I have to kind of get past that. you know, it's weird we live in a society I actually said this to Spike Lee one time, where black people can be like heroes, and white people are heroes, but brown people aren't you mm-hmm. know and i i think that's changing that's changed lately but pretty much the united we in our society every country we have ripped off we claim that they're the ones that are doing, like the Arabs are the sneaky people because we've been stealing their oil for like right. uh, 75 years. The Mexicans okay. are lazy. They pay for it. All these people are, they're somehow bad or less than us. Black people are violent. I mean, mm. come on. Mm-hmm. There's like, Black culture is not black culture is actually more warm and embracing than than other cultures that I know of. So now we put down all these people, and I and I and I like I, I accept this idea of who I am in some way, kind of less than. That's crazy. It's just it's it is a little hard for me. One of the things about having kids is that I look at my boys and they are beautiful and wonderful. And I remember when I was their age, I was so self conscious about my hair this curly hair people come up like touch yeah, it yeah, or yeah. my skin is a little darker yeah. than other kids and I look at my kids like how could I have ever thought that about myself what a so, horrible thing
0: so the the, the act of, of Operation Nemesis the act of creating this book not only it, it, it's an act of integration yourself into your heritage and also the, the history of what you're talking about into the fabric of our culture that you know you're raising awareness and also now you're a celebrated Armenian I would imagine I mean you're here to you, oh, you, the,
1: the, the community particularly the um, the people who are the, the Armenian community has a very political side and a very non political mm-hmm. side. And the political side, I was never part of that world. Uh, there, the th- the Armenian National Committee, who are actually having this big banquet this weekend and have and are honoring me with giving me an award. They have been so supportive. They are also the people who made sure everyone was aware of the Armenian genocide, the centennial mm-hmm. of it last April, which just happens. I don't know if this is some kind of mark or something, but I was born on April 24th, which is the day that they commemorate the 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 beginning of all the killings. At any rate, yeah, I've, got, I've gotten to know these communities that are super tight Armenian communities here in Southern California, all over the place. I was in Vegas the other day there. I was like visiting the church there. and Do they think you got it right? You know, I was very wary of that as I was working on the book because I'm talking about some stuff that they were involved in. A hundred years yeah. ago, and and finally I gave it to him. And in March, some of the big guys in the in the community took me aside at this event, and they said, "We're with you. Yeah. We we like the book, and um, supported it, and have told all their people to." to to, to, to read it and buy it and so forth. And this, so is, forth. A, this as,
0: is a new as, story to a lot of Armenians, I would imagine. Absolutely,
1: yeah. The, uh, the old story, the um, the original Tetlarian story of the kid, the engineering student who shot Talat Pasha in Berlin, is a story that a lot of Armenians know. The story of Operation Nemesis, that there was this huge conspiracy operating out of New England that knocked off six major Turks who, by the way, I mean, like I say, if you're going to talk about the Armenian genocide, you got to mention that five years later they did this. That's news to a lot, a lot, a lot of people. And uh, and I think it's interesting, not just as an Armenian, but in terms of world history. I don't know of any story. I mean, Munich is kind of related to it, but uh, they basically knocked off a whole government. Mm-hmm. It would be like if a Jew had found Hitler and Goering and Goebbels and all these guys and, and killed them. Wiesenthal, oh, they... he
0: tried. Yeah. Yeah, he got a yeah. few. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: And it has the same kind of, um, uh, like, with Eichmann going into another country and doing this thing. This is not legal. Right. So you're you're stuck with this thing of, like, it's kind of illegal. It's not kind of. It is illegal what they're doing. War criminal. They're they're kind of murder incorporated, going after these guys.
0: Oh, you mean them? Yeah, And then
1: there's this sort of sense of, like, what is God? What is justice? And then justice. Mm -hmm. And then you basically say, what's right? Mm -hmm. And if these guys are really, and they are responsible for murdering a million people... Then some people felt it was their job to go and hunt they, them not down let and, them
0: get away with yeah, it,
1: or, or maybe come back to power later and keep killing more Armenians, which was another part of it. What, they had, by the way, I have to say, yeah. they they had already been condemned to death by trials after sure. the war. There were war crimes trials, and all these men had been. They were. It was already established in court in Turkey. Um, but at any rate, I just this story blew me away. I didn't know it. I honestly working on it. I thought I was going to get it done a lot faster than. I'm, I'm good friends with Sarah Vowell, mm-hmm. and she was sort of like rabbi me through this thing a little bit. And and so I thought, oh, I can write a popular history. I'll just learn all the facts, and then I'll kind of put it in my own voice. But it turned out to be a much more serious and hard thing. So about halfway through it, I realized I was really in deep with a complicated story. But what are you going to do? You got to finish it. So I kept going. And, it's good you had so that it's a, discipline. It's a... And you wrote something I really that I had could, nowhere else to could, go. Could I mean, be, I had to finish. What are you going to climb a mountain and go halfway? It's you like it's it. going to
0: be a text.
1: It is a text. It's a it's a and, and there's an audio book too, so it's me reading and I don't know how to pronounce any of these Armenian names. So it's just <laughs> insane <laughs> trying to say all this stuff. I can I don't even know how to pronounce my own last name. You know, it's like it's Bogosian, Bogosian. What is Boghossian. it? Well the correct pronunciation is Boghossian.
0: Yeah, that, that's but not some, yeah, yeah, That's a little too true. <laughs> Who? <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, I used to do when I did like talk shows and yeah. stuff when I first started my uh, career, they'd be like, today we have Eric B how do you say that name i mean i'm like come on yeah, really
0: yeah yeah you're
1: gonna have me on as a guest you're gonna do this it's to hard me? i
0: get it all the time moran moron, moron. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking horrible mine yeah. i think is simple it's a lot less complicated than yours yeah 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 uh so what part of new england did these guys
1: work from uh, Boston. Uh, then there was a guy in Albany. There was a, a CPA in ba- Albany. There was an insurance agent in Hartford, Connecticut. Oh, my God. And they were all part of the same political party. And they basically said, this has to happen.
0: It reminds me of the Cubans, too, That yes. w- with the plot to kill Castro. Like, there are these expats yes. who, who, who you know, want to take, you know, do what's right. So they knew that this
1: kid, Sojoman Tetlarion, had shot and killed somebody in Constantinople who they who was seen as sort of a traitor. And they recruited him. They brought him to Boston. They looked him over because they knew they wanted him to get caught so that then in the trial he could talk about the Armenian genocide. They wanted people to hear about it. So they needed a guy who, who would be presentable, and he was a very sympathetic character with this. Did scene. he know he was going to get caught? Yeah, he, the plan was to get caught. And to go and and then get as many witnesses into the trial as possible to talk about the Armenian genocide, which is what they did. So this was a very famous trial in nineteen twenty one. New York Times covered it. It was covered all around the world. And uh, and this guy was so sympathetic because everybody thought that he had been the survivor of these massacres. He had seen his mother beheaded right in front of him, and he was just this engineering student happened to see this guy in the street and went and got a gun. Of course, none of that was true. He was he knew exactly what he was doing. In fact, I even referred to a CIA manual on 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 how to kill people and the way he killed the guy which was to shoot him in the back of the neck right at the at the top of the spine that is the most effective way to make sure that you're one shot
0: he killed all six of them
1: no no he killed him and then there were other assassins who were operating all around europe there were there were all kinds of people there were armenians who spoke turkish who pretended to be turks and there was one guy who actually got circumcised so that when he was in like uh the the hammam that turks if they saw him they would think that he was muslim because muslims get circumcised like jews do and right all right so. so he um anyway all these different guys were all over the place in rome they knocked a guy they got the Grand Vizier, they went back to Berlin, they killed two more guys there, they got somebody in Constantinople, they got Jamal Pasha in con- in uh, Tbilisi, and they basically, one other guy got caught, he also got cut loose based on some idea of temporary insanity, and they, they basically grew up, the, most of them were old men here in California by the 1960s, there's pictures of them hanging around each other, I can show you in the picture, this guy killed two people, this guy killed three people, this guy killed- Wait,
0: Out here three. like in Glendale? Uh, San
1: Francisco, Los Angeles. So they kept in touch. Yeah, oh yeah. (laughs) They knew each other. Although they never, they didn't talk about it. One of the interesting things about this whole thing was it sort of came out of nowhere. These were all nobodies. They were Mm -hmm. all like, nobody ever knew these people. And then once they shut the operation down, they basically put all the stuff away and didn't talk about it ever again. So when I heard this story, It was like, what? Mm. And where's the book on this? Where's something about this? And I couldn't. There was this one obscure book coming out of France by Jacques de Rogie. And I used that for some source. And then I did my own research, found out that British intelligence probably helped these guys out. British intelligence wanted these Turks killed as well. And they thought, well, we could kill them or we could just tell the Armenians where they live. Mm-hmm. And so they, they, I think they slipped the address to the Armenians.
0: It's fascinating because, like, you know, you did this great service for the community and for history and for everything else. And you just, you know, the, the impetus was like, I'm going to write a movie. And then, oh, yeah. you, then all of a sudden it became a bigger responsibility. Yeah. It became a humanitarian responsibility. <laughs> well, I don't know. Well, I mean, obviously, I, whatever the compulsion was, you were like, how is this story not been told properly? Yeah,
1: I mean, it wasn't an... E- I didn't see how the up, there was an, no upside for ego, there was no money upside. I mean, Little Brown paid me in advance, but it wasn't that that was like a in it for that.
0: How did that feel for you, doing something relatively selfless?
1: <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why i do anything i just do <laughs> stuff i mean come I'm on you're Dude. too sober to say that no listen i did i i met mike Judge when i was working with richard linkletter i met mike judge down in austin yeah. i said i love beavis and butthead do america uh, love beavis and butthead and uh if you ever want anything he goes well we're going to do this movie beavis and butthead do america And so I said, well, anything. So he had me do three voiceovers in that movie, you know, scale 500 Mm -hmm. bucks or something. And I forgot about it. And, uh, you know, whatever it was, $50,000 later uh, with all the royalties and everything, because the movie was a huge, in fact, it's probably the biggest hit I've ever been involved with. But I'm, I try to lead with, well, let me put it this way. I try to lead with have fun, keep you know keep things interesting and every time i try to do something for money or i'm i got this big plan yeah i wrote an action movie one time because i thought i would <laughs> sell it and get millions of dollars it never works out yeah all those plans right. don't work out right good i'm no good with the plans i started a production company i was going to make a live video which uh-huh. exists spent sixty thousand dollars in this thing yeah. nothing couldn't get anybody. No nobody wanted Nobody. it doesn't exist yeah. i mean you can go on the hundred monologues.com site and see that so you're things, you're
0: but... doomed to uh to
1: operate from your passion i'm doing to having uh, being clueless i just no, don't but you know get, I...
0: you get possessed the the first thing i right you're a compulsive person I mean nobody writes an Armenian history book <laughs> just because you know, like, yeah, I think I'm gonna you, it, it you. just makes sense to me. You know, when I'm working on anything writing, and
1: I know you've had this experience, it can it, it quickly becomes a dead end or it like opens up like a flower and you right, go, right. Oh wow, oh, I found this thing. This works. That's what, you, but that's what you're looking and, for. Yeah. That's yeah. that's the moment. Yeah.
0: You 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 can hope for that, but you can't
1: plan it, is basically what you're saying. No, no you don't know what and 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 I and I don't know where it's coming from, and I've kind of given in to yeah, don't, don't. Let's see what happens. Sure, I'm, it makes life a little more exciting because since I'm not planning everything, yeah. Uh, who knows what's gonna be next year? I mean, well, the, you take the Law and Order thing. Yeah. I mean. My friend Warren Light calls me up one day and says, come over to the offices today and say hi to everybody. I go, I'm really busy today. I can't come over. He goes, well, Dick's here. Come over and say Dick Wolf. Mm-hmm. I said, I, I really, Warren, I'm he goes, I really think you should come over and say hi to Dick. So I come over. Dick Wolf says hi to me and says, do you want to be the captain on Law and Order? And 60 episodes later, I've just done, I mean, I've had the time of my life and it was a blast doing that thing. Did not see that coming. And you made a living doing a, what you do. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, drinking. I was having cups of coffee. Walk in the room, say four lines, drink a <laughs> cup of coffee, and get to be in that beginning, the header of the of the show.
0: What do they, what do, they do? And you wrote this amazing book about the, this uh, this yes, untold. That paid, for it, that paid for it. That but paid for a, the book. It's a it's an exciting life you lead, and and Operation Nemesis just came out a few months ago, right? And you have you are are an active part of a community that you you just you uh, you through youthful condescension detached from, and yes. now you have done this amazing gift. Now I for realize
1: them. how lucky I am to be one of these amazing people called Armenians. So that's what
0: I am. All right. Well, it was great talking to you, Eric. Thanks, Mark. That's it. That's the show. Um, thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Uh, uh, did I tell you? I mean, Eric goes, man. That was great. It's always good to see him. It's exciting. Yeah, talking to Eric Bogosian is like being on a, a, a an amusement park ride. Good times. Uh, what else do I got to tell you? WTFpod.com. You know, get your stuff. Do the thing. If you want posters for Christmas, it's getting tight. It's getting tight now. You know, we might be able to make it under the wire. Don't know. But uh, enjoy yourselves, and I'll talk to you Monday. Got some big shows coming up. What else? I got to, uh, I got to brush my teeth and get dressed and, and go be an actor, do a character that's vaguely like me. <laughs> It's a little uh, muted jazz trumpet for the end. Yep. Boomer lives!